G'day, you're listening to the Virtual Staff Room, and this is episode 41, Culture and Vision. Hi, my name's Chris Betcher. Thanks for joining us here on the Virtual Staff Room. Before we get stuck into today's episode, I just thought I'd mentioned a couple of quick things. One is uh, you can now follow the Virtual Staff Room on your favorite social media services. So if you're a Facebook fan, you can get us over on the Facebook at the Virtual Staff Room podcast. And if you just do a search for that, you should find us. Uh, we'd love you to click the little like button and um, we'll let you know about anything that comes up in terms of the podcast. Uh, if you're more of a Twitter fan, you can get us there on the Staff Room. Uh, Virtual Staff Room apparently has too many letters for a Twitter name, so it's the Staff Room, and uh, you can follow us there. And we'll just keep you informed, let you know of episodes coming up and and whatnot. The other thing I just wanted to mention was uh, a couple of weeks ago I did a course on uh, open educational resources, and it really made me think about a lot of things about licensing and the way we share. Uh, I obviously want this podcast to be shared far and wide, and um, you know, whoever finds benefit from it, uh, that's the whole point of, of putting it together. So I've changed the license terms on it, which uh, was always Creative Commons licensed, but it was a non-commercial share-alike license, which I thought was the right thing to do. But uh, on reflection, I'm just going to make it a buy license. So basically, it's an attribution only. If you uh, want to share this podcast anywhere at all, reuse it, remix it, do whatever you want with it, that's fine. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Uh, just mention where you got it from. That's uh, all I ask. So that's, uh, that should make it pretty open. Uh, this episode, we talked to Helen Otway. Helen's a teacher in Victoria in Australia, and uh, she has lots and lots of vision about uh, school leadership and uh, changing culture within a school. So it's a great conversation. Here we go with Helen Otway. All right, well, g'day. I'm talking to Helen Otway today. G'day, Helen. Hi, how are you going? Very well. Um, Helen, you're responsible for, well, first of all, tell us who you are and what you do and we can talk about what you're responsible for later. Okay. I'm Helen, Helen Oshway, and I'm from Melbourne. Um, I'm an assistant principal in a P-12 college, Manor Lakes College, and I've been doing that now, well, this is my third year. Um, I've been a teacher since the mid-80s, so I've been around for quite some time and, and pretty much involved in all things ICT, um, thinking, curriculum, inquiry, um, peer coaching and, and lots of other things really. Yep. I get the impression that you and I are uh, interested in the same sort of stuff. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we actually did meet each other, uh, well, a couple of times, but uh, most recently in New Learn last year when we were there in uh, Christchurch. Yeah, look, and that was really fantastic. Um, great place to go, great conference. And I think the school that we visited um, together mm. there was fabulous just to see what other people are doing mm. no, in the way. It was Discovery School, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was actually the sister school and it was called Unlimited. Unlimited, sorry. Unlimited. Yeah, Unlimited is, a, I think it's um, year eight and above, but the Discovery School is a junior school, so that's something like Peter, Peter 8. Yeah. But they work in collaboration and um, just seeing how they do things was fantastic. Yeah, it was interesting. And we might have a little chat about school design and, uh, you know, school environment and all that sort of stuff because I think it plays a really important part in what you can do in a school by thinking about, you know, what the school itself looks like mm, yeah. anyway so you uh your your thing as well as obviously being are you in a classroom teaching at the moment no okay so you are the deputy principal mm-hmm. um now you also have a responsibility for uh wide-scale deployment of professional development across a group of schools and you've also been an alternate coach mm-hmm. yeah yep sounds like you're really into it <laughs> All crazy. Um, no, look, I do love it. Um, I'm actually currently doing, well, just about to start my master's in school leadership and reading a fabulous book called Learning by Heart. And it really touches upon many of these aspects that we're probably going to talk about, Chris, with, um, you know, teacher leaders and developing a culture within a school. And, and that's something that's really close to my heart because I think with anything that we try to do in a school, whether it's um, introducing ICT or introducing a different type of initiative, 
without the right culture in a school, it's pretty hard to achieve yeah, that. Totally. And, and the longer I do this, the more I realise that that yeah. culture is really the linchpin of the whole thing. Um, Absolutely. It's not about teaching people how to do something or gain a skill no. or whatever. It's about changing the culture of the way they believe that what they're doing impacts upon the broader I've lost lost my words there, but it, it's a much broader issue than just simply learning some stuff. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, as, as teachers, we tend to sort of work closely with our students and within the classroom, and then it's really hard as a teacher to sort of um, feel that they've got the capacity to lead. And then even now as a, a, an assistant principal um, and being a leader as such, it's still difficult because you still find those challenges with culture constantly being there. So unless you sort of address those underlying issues um, or um, things that are happening within a school, you're not going to get to where you want to be. Um, so, yeah, very interesting times ahead at the moment. Okay, so let's take a two-pronged approach to thinking about this problem. It, it's all about culture. I think we agree on that. So... What is the culture that we're trying to move towards and what are the obstacles towards getting there? Can we frame the conversation in those kind of terms? Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, what, so when you say we want to move towards a culture, what, what's the culture we want to move towards? I think the culture that we want to move towards is that um, as, as, a, as a school, we're not just a school, we're actually a learning community. Now, we hear those terms a lot, learning community, and we've been saying them for years. But actually understanding what that means is something different. Um, Realising that a school is a place where kids learn, where teachers can learn as well, where you can invite parents in to learn, and to realise that um, at any one point... Um, you're not going to know everything, obviously, and there's going to be other people that can help you, even students be able to help you. So um, letting down our guard, so to speak, so that we're not constantly feeling intimidated or um, defending ourselves, but being able to appreciate that we are on a learning journey and there's always going to be um, new things that will help us to achieve um, a better way of doing things or sharing our... Um, now I'm losing my words, Chris, but our... <laughs> We're thinking on the fly here. We are. But There's it's no also... script for this show, Helen. No. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, um, the ability to be, to be able to teach and to lead, how do we share that with, with others? And it's having those conversations and being able to have those conversations in a, in a forum that's safe so that you don't feel like you're going to be put down or criticised or, you know, have the eyes rolling in the background by somebody else. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, developing that sort of a culture. And I think as teachers or as, as leaders, as educators, um, we're very protective of, of what we do. And, you know, you often hear of those teachers who will do these great things in their classrooms, but they're too scared to share them. One, they don't want somebody else doing them because they want to get the high or the the highlights or they're too scared to share them because they might find that somebody else next door because they haven't got that capacity to do that are going to you know poo-poo them because they're doing great things and, and the other person can't so it's about breaking down those barriers and being open to change and open to new ideas and open to self-improvement um, and that's a tough thing because that, that's right at the core of the person. Um, it, it's not something that you can just learn overnight. That's where it's coming down for me a lot lately too as I deal with more and more people uh, on, on this kind of idea of creating culture within a school of, of, of learning is I'm starting to realise there are a lot of people in the teaching profession who really aren't good learners themselves. Who, who probably don't value, the, I mean, again, talking catchphrases, lifelong learning. Yeah. Um, and it, it becomes difficult for me to work with those people, but it becomes difficult for those people to take the next steps in making the learning process for their kids different because I don't think they really appreciate the value of lifelong learning themselves, which is kind of ironic for a teacher. It is, and it seems to be the case in a lot of um, areas of, of education. 
And so, and, and then you have to start unpacking that, as I was saying, you know, why is that so? Why, why are they actually feeling that they can't learn? Is it because they feel like they're going to be ridiculed or put on show or made to feel silly if they have a go? Um, is it that their leadership expects too much or doesn't expect enough? I mean, there's so many different factors um, that come into play here and it, it's really hard to sort of find the thing that really brings it all together. Uh, I think, you know, as I said this year, doing my master's, my master's in um, school leadership is going to really help me unpack this because there's so many times when I've been so frustrated and so, um, you know, wondering why, why can't we do these things that we're trying to do? Why, if, if we've been talking about ICT and education now for goodness knows how many years. 30. <laughs> why can't we do them? What's stopping us? You know, surely it's not that hard. We all use technology in our personal lives. Why aren't we using it in, in you know, our day-to-day teaching? So, you know, you've got, to, you've got to dig deep and this digging deep is really starting to um, develop in my head this year with, with some of the readings that I'm doing. Who knows, I might get to an answer but I might not. Yeah, well, let me know if you do because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested to know what it is. Oh, well. <laughs> there is kind of a nexus between... Um, and look, this probably sounds like a really biased thing for me to say because, as everybody knows, I'm pretty pro uh, the use of educational technology in education. Mm. But the, it does seem to me that there is a kind of a way of thinking when I see teachers who teach using technology. It's not just that they're teaching with technology. It's that they're actually approaching the task of educating differently. Mm. And I, I really do think that there's something about those people who kind of lock onto this idea of what technology can do in education that doesn't just it's not about just putting a few computers in there and saying wow this is cool it's it it does fundamentally change the way you do it and maybe that's because where if you start to put technology in the hands of kids you're divesting the authority in the room from teacher to student um maybe there's a different sense of differentiation going on because every kid's able to work at a different pace and to do slightly different things. I don't know what it is, but there is actually pedagogical links, I think, with the use of technology that goes beyond just using technology for its own sake. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... um Obviously, when people first start using technology in a classroom, they, they do the same old, same old, but use a technology instead. But it's, it's um, getting to the point of doing things differently and passing over or letting go of the reins so that the kids can actually steer the learning themselves yeah. and use that technology as a tool for inquiry. And I think when I introduced myself, I, I said a few things. I said ICT was one of the things that um, has really developed in my um, capacity as a teacher, but also things around the inquiry learning, thinking curriculum, because without the inquiry and thinking curriculum, you're not going to have that true pedagogy um, happening with the ICT. Um, And, you know, they all sort of mesh together so nicely because they're the things that really get the best out of the kids. They can go and research, but then they can problem solve and they can create Mm. I can remember doing a PD for um, a visiting school, gosh, probably about six, seven years ago now. They came to my school and at that stage I was at Essendon North Primary School and they came in to see what we were doing and I gave my talk about making, making a difference with ICT, it was called and um, talked about some of the things that my students were doing in the classroom and one of the questions that was raised was, well, Helen, you've spoken a lot about the kids being producers. Are they consumers as well? And I still reflect on that now because I think, yeah, my kids were producers even back then. You know, they used to produce. They used to create their own little movies. My kids were into animation. Um, They used to do a lot of things with the technology because the technology was there. Mm. It was... um, was just amongst them, we had the iPods, we had the the laptops even back then, we had um, cameras and um, video cameras. It was all there. All they needed to do was go to the cupboard. We didn't have one-to-one back then. They'd go to the cupboard, grab what tool they wanted and use it. Mm. Um, and I think over time what's happened is we've tried to um, develop some sort of structures for using ICT. I don't know if it was the same in New South Wales. 
um, you know, having rotations of activities where um, it, it would become the turn of such and such a group to use the laptops. Yeah. I mean, that sort of stuff is almost crazy because you can't wait to use the technology if you need to use it. You need to use it. No, it, it's, it's, it's not an authentic approach to doing it, is it? It's not, and, and that's where um, along the way some schools perhaps haven't thought about what true use of technology is and having structures like that in place only inhibit um, the, the true use. I mean, the way we're going down the track now with the one-to-one is fantastic. At our school at Manor Lakes, we've got a one-to-one program in four-year levels in seven, eight and nine with MacBooks and year six with iPads. And, you know, that what's happening in those year levels is incredible because they have access all the time. But as you were saying, Chris, before, you know, people can still do the same old, same old stuff. You know, they can do the same stuff with the technology and that happened even at our place. But that's okay, but they need to move past that. They need to think differently and get rid of the the worksheets that are saved on the server to access and to move past that in developing some um, online um, places for them to actually collaborate and work together. So, you know, it, it does take time, but I think if you put the structures in place, allow the teachers to feel safe in exploring and making mistakes, then you're going to help create that culture for change to happen. If you have too many structures and too many limitations and too many this is the way you do it, then you're going to have issues with with people not wanting to be innovative. Um, And I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, perhaps we're going down that path of, um, you know, to, to have the best schools um, around, we are governed by our departments saying, well, this is the way we're going to do it, these are the initiatives, and all of a sudden we're so burdened by all these initiatives that we can't, we don't have that time to develop our own way of doing things within our schools and to have that room and that flexibility for innovation and mistakes because with mistakes comes innovation or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, actually with mistakes come a lot of things. <laughs> And we, we, well, we should be um, really, you know, focusing far more on getting things wrong than getting things right. And I don't mean we want to be wrong all the time. No. I just mean we, you know, it's, it's about having that culture where being wrong is just not seen as something that's a bad thing. Being wrong is should be seen as something that's part of the process on the way to learning what's right, if I can put it that way. Yeah, and you think about in your own life, you know, if you make a mistake, whether out in the garden or cooking, whatever you're doing, if you make a mistake, boy, you learn that, you know, next time you're not going to add that much whatever it was, pepper or whatever it was, um, and, and you fix it up for next time. Mm. You've um, got teenage kids, haven't you? I do. I've got a, a 17-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old daughter. So the 17-year-old's probably going through learning to drive right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. So now when my, my son's 18 and he's on his green peas now and he went through the whole learning to drive thing, I think watching your kids learn to drive is probably one of the most uh, um, obvious examples of how someone learns. Mm. And you have to stall the car at the lights and bunny hop up the road and, you know, nearly pull out into the traffic. And, yeah, you don't want your kids to get hurt, but, like, unless mm. they do those, unless they get it wrong, they're never going to get it right. No. You don't ever just get in the car and drive. No. And, and yet, you know, we, we obviously we realise that, you know, when you learn to do something as complex as driving a car, it's a trial and error and you do it and you practice and you've got to get your hours up and all the rest of it. And, and it's kind of funny when you go into a school setting because those iterations of learning don't seem to be part of the culture of school. School is mm. very much of the, uh, you know, I'll show you what you need to know. Uh, mm. We'll give you a couple of... Uh, chances to to demonstrate it and then we'll test you on it Mm. but there's not an iterative sort of loop built into most learning processes in school in the same way that there is say watching someone to drive or learning to fly a plane or even watching a baby learn to walk where it's just doing doing it over and over and over and over and getting it wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong until you get it right Mm. and maybe we don't have time in schools to do that but that's really seems more and more evident to me that that's actually how learning happens 
Yeah, and I think, you know, we have so many things happening in our schools now because we're so um, focused now on getting our scores up. You know, it's all about scores at the moment and certainly coming up to NAPLAN in May. Um, I do see the, the need for knowing where our schools are at, but I, I, I worry that there is so much emphasis um, placed on these tests. And when you've got that sort of constraint and that sort of pressure on a classroom teacher, they're going to put their energies into that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you what you need to know and then I'm going to give you an activity and then we're going to test you and then we're going to see where you aren't doing the right thing and then we're going to work on it a bit more. And and it doesn't allow for the kids to have that chance to fail and to problem-solve themselves. Uh, and ironically, I think, with that, with that, all, all of these high-stakes tests, you know, they're supposed to be measuring what a kid can do, but they, they become the actual they become the focus of what the kid does. Mm-hmm. So rather than learn to do X, Y, Z and then have this test to say, well, are they any good at X, Y, Z? It becomes the test is all about making the kid learn X, Y, Z. It's all ass about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm going to read you something out of Learning by Heart okay. because I've been um, reading it now. And when you talked about the driving, it's got an example here from yeah, yeah. Um, a sophomore student and it's American. Um, I'm just going to read it now. I just didn't like it. It, It's like this. Let's say you don't know how to drive a car and I'm going to teach you. I can say, well, you're going to have to do it to do this. You're going to have to press down the brake and throw it into drive. But after a while, I can't do too much more talking. You've got to have to get behind the wheel and do it yourself. And I think that's how school should be. Instead of being told how to do things, you have to do it more yourself. I mean, after telling me the basics, shut up. Let me do it now. Mm. That's just how I am. That's now, it. I read that without glasses, so <laughs> <You did laughs> I'm going to find well. my glasses you did very now. Well. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no, I think that, that's part of the culture shift I think we're facing in schools. And, and, you know, you started off by saying it's all about creating culture and, and I don't know whether that's what you meant by that, but that's in my head that's what I sort of yeah. think when I talk about the culture within a school or within the education system generally is moving away from this idea that it's simply all about just having some answers that you always have to get right. Mm. And I think um, I think in time we'll, we'll get there. There's, there's certainly going to come a time when we realise that our efforts at the moment um, in, in developing um, greater achievement marks is going to backfire. Um, I think in time we're going to realise that the good learning and the um, the opportunities to problem solve and to make mistakes, that they are so beneficial that what we're doing at the moment may not be allowing that time for the kids and well, for the I teachers. I suppose that's what I was getting at when I said I think it's all ass about. Yeah. Because if yeah, you yeah. just focus on learning what you're supposed to learn and, and, you know, having a good learning experience, then you ought to be able to pass a test anyway. Mm. I mean, a driving test, yeah. a driving, to come back to the driving example, um, if I went for a driving test tomorrow, I'd expect to pass, not because I've studied for it, I've learnt it or I've focused on learning my driving. It's just because I know how to drive. Mm. And so I don't have a problem with being tested on knowing how to drive because I can drive. Um, and it's, it's kind of like that. If you go into school and you just do what you're supposed to do and you learn all the interesting stuff and you, you, know, you, you unpack concepts and the kids interact with them and they make media around them or whatever else you do to get the kids to engage in learning, then a test at the end should simply go, yeah, of course we know that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why it's not like that. It's so, so logical. <laughs> it, it does seem logical. So, you know, again, it gets down to um, the, the hesitations that we have as educators. What is it that's actually stopping us from doing the things that we want to do within our schools? Is it because um, we don't have the self-confidence to be leaders and to have these discussions within our own schools? Is it because... Um, there might be competition. I think in schools there is competition. I think personally that there's just a lot of acceptance of the status quo and uh, Mm. one of the most valuable things... Well, okay, let me put this another way. Of all the teachers that I see doing some pretty amazing teaching, they're all fairly self-reflective and whether that's through Mm. blogging or whatever, they think about what they do. They don't just go to work every day and do what they did yesterday Mm. or last year or whatever. They actually think constantly about 
how can this be better than what I did last time? That's that self-reflective cycle. And I don't know, I think when you get into that self-reflection process, you start to actually question things you do rather than just blindly do them. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of our topics today was going to be around professional development or professional learning. And I think, you know, the movement that we need to make with that is to develop professional learning programs and opportunities that allow teachers to reflect um, and that's one of the things that I've been involved in in the past with the peer coaching yeah. and with any sort of coaching it, it has that built-in time mm. to have a discussion and, and um, reflection time and that's where it becomes really powerful you know the the um, workshops that you go to for an hour after school and then you head home but, you know that they, they don't work we know that absolutely not um, so therefore, you know, something like that, the peer coaching or, as I said, any type of coaching where you have an opportunity to sit down with the coach and have a discussion about what's been happening in the classroom or what you've been doing, then they're, they're the perfect um, possibilities or opportunities for you to develop as a teacher. So in a really practical sort of hands-on, you know, nuts and bolts way, can you can you give me any examples of of stuff that you've seen really work in schools in terms of trying to change cultures? Uh, well, one of the things, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll talk about two places. One, my previous school and what the school that I'm in now. The previous school that I was in, and this is going back a few years now, the culture was very much about learning together and our professional learning programs were very much around having dialogue about working together in teams, about um, sharing our work, and that's why I used to present um, way back in the early um, 2000s because even as a teacher uh, returning from family leave, I was then encouraged to go out and share what I was doing with other schools. And having that sort of culture of um, sharing your craft was so important for us to grow as a school because when you start sharing your craft, you're open to um, praise but you're also open to criticism. And when you put those two together, it gives you an opportunity to see what worked, um, to explain or to think about, well, why did what I did work and try to work out a story that can go with it to, to help share your craft with others so the more we did that the more we actually shared our craft with not only the people within our school but also people um, external to our school that the better we were at developing our craft that's as a teacher that's really coming all the way back to reflection again isn't it it, it is absolutely um, and I think you know even the book that I'm reading now talks about you've got to have that reflection to grow and we know that with our kids and that's why we do a lot of reflection um, in fact, my students would always say to me, and they would call me Miss Otway back then, Miss Otway, we're doing more reflection, reflection on our reflection. <laughs> but it was, re- it was really about, you know, getting them to, to know what they were learning, not just uh, why they were, what they were learning, how they were learning, why they were learning, not just what, not just the content. Um, now that I'm a, an assistant principal within a... Um, large school, currently around about 1,200 kids and are going to grow to about 2,500. I'm trying to develop that now in this in this setting. Was that so, a Greenfield school? Did you start that? Yes. Oh, that abso- so, okay, beautiful. Absolutely, Greenfield. So, so we opened in 2009 and I came on board November 2008. So I, you know, it was part of the college right at the beginning which is fabulous. Okay, so I'm not sure how much of this question you can answer, but when you start a Greenfield school, in other words, you've got no legacy, mm. you're literally drawing the line in the sand and going, okay, we start here, mm. and you introduce them a year group at a time. Do you find... I'm just interested in um, how you find teachers to staff a school like that because you'd be in a unique position uh, to basically get who you want, yes? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You get, you get who you want. Um, you get a lot of teachers... I've worked um, in several schools where it's like, oh, this could be such a great school if only those three people would leave, mm. <laughs> you know. And But to have that ability to just put the right people in from the word go. And I think we did that quite well. We were able to recruit all our 
teachers and when we talk about this we, we talk about recruiting to culture even though we, we probably didn't have a, a, a real culture at that stage but we knew what we wanted. Yeah. Um, however, you're still going to find and, and a lot of people say that, oh, you're so lucky, you're still going to find that when you do recruit or when you do bring teachers, they do come from somewhere and when they come from somewhere, else they do bring a lot of ideas or um (laughs) i didn't want to say that (laughs) Uh, and that that that's fair enough that that happens so we've got schools we've got teachers who have come from schools where they haven't used technology or they've come from schools where perhaps they haven't been allowed to explore inquiry um, approaches to learning um they're great teachers and we work with them But we still have to work with them. It's not as if we've recruited to our culture and all of a sudden they're there, wonderful, and, you know, they know what we're all on about. We actually still do need to to build that together. So over the last couple of years, um, just speaking about developing that culture within our school, you know, all those normal things like developing the vision, we've, we've done that right at the word go with our staff, with our kids, with our community. And in the last year I've been looking at the philosophy of learning because I felt um, that a lot of the work that we were doing wasn't going to actually happen if we didn't have a core belief about learning. So my work last year was very much around, well, what is it that we believed to be um, ideal about learning? So we brainstormed all of that and came up with our true beliefs about it. Our next step after that was to think about... The good thing about that would be that simply having those discussions helps get everybody on the same page. Well, that's the thing. If you start including everybody, then it's it, everyone has ownership. They feel like their yeah. words have come out on that bit of paper. Yeah, and having everybody on the same page is another way of saying culture. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And look, you can still have differences. You can still approach things, sure. you know, slightly differently, but that core belief is there. The second um, phase that we went through was if, if that's what we believe learning to be, what do we as need, what do we as teachers and educators need to do? So then we brainstormed that so that they were our actions. If this is what we want learning to be, what do we as educators need to do? Then our last column that we're going to work on this year is, okay, we know what learning is at our place. We know what we need to do as educators. But what does it look like for the kids? What exactly are the kids doing? Mm. You know, what, what is the evidence that we're seeing? So that's our next bit of brainstorming and, and collaboration that we're going to work on. And hopefully over, you know, the last three years then we're going to develop a real culture around, well, what is learning? Um, and, and that's so important. And I think the more we do this, the more um, we see that as adults we're part of it. Yeah. So it's not just for the kids but we as, as um, educators need to be learners as well. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have any programs in place to bring t- uh, parents into that equation as well? Yeah, well, when, when we did the vision, um, that was huge. We had um, a whole hall filled with the parents, with a representation of the parents, a representation of the local community, so people who weren't parents but part of the local community, shop owners and, and that sort of thing, as well as our kids and staff being part of that process because we realised that being a new school in a very new suburb, we needed to be part of the, the bigger community. So that worked really well. Um, I, I guess with the learning part, the learning philosophy, we've shared with our parents, but we probably haven't included them as much, and that's something that we probably need to do a little bit more about or around as well. So yeah, don't feel bad; nobody does that well. I know, I know, and, and you sort of you get that horrible time word. You know, you sort of get pushed yeah. for time. And because we were doing it um, after school and our professional learning time, yeah. um, you know... It, it's interesting, though. I mean, even schools that even profess to, you know, be real learning communities where everybody's involved and stuff, I don't know too many schools that allow kids and parents to be on selection panels for staff, for example. <laughs> yeah, and they do that so well in New Zealand. I don't know if you've they seen do. any of the yeah, schools they do. that... Oh, gosh. You know, they have the kids on the panels... We actually talked to some of our kids uh, recently and said, oh, you know, we're going to get some new teachers. What, 
you know, how would you feel about being on a panel? They just looked at us with blank eyes and thought we were idiots. But um, maybe when you that's think some... about it, employing <laughs> a teacher in a school without having some representation of the student's opinion is insane. Yeah, <laughs> of yeah. Of course you should ask the kids. They're the ones yeah. that are going to be, you know, directly affected. But don't forget they're affected by um, what's been before and for them that just seemed like the most crazy, bizarre thing yeah. <laughs> for them but that's only because of the culture of exactly. school in the past. So, you know, we need to sort of break past that. Yeah. Hey, uh, you've been trolling these iPads. Yes, we tell have me, been trolling. Yeah, look, um, we're part of the um, department's initiative, mm-hmm. the Victorian Education Department, and we we're very lucky to be selected last year as one of the trial schools, and there's nine trial schools. Um, so last year we were able to have them for our year fives, and because it's an 18-month trial, the year sixes now have them because I took them up from last year. Um, that means we have four year six classes at the moment running with the iPads, so it's one-to-one. They get to take them home. Um, they get to use them throughout the day as as they need them. Um, it's it's going well. It's going well. It's it's where different. Do you, where do you, I just actually the podcast before this one that I recorded mm-hmm. not so long ago was uh, with um, three other teachers who are all in schools that are doing iPod trials. Um, and one of the things that came out in that discussion was this. You know, we keep hearing the word trial. We're doing an iPod <laughs> trial. I mean, when is it going to become real? <laughs> You know, when does it stop being a trial and, oh, it's actually working, let's it's do it. Happening. And, um, look, that's really funny, Chris, because when we did our um, one-to-one laptop program in 2009 as a first year, we called it a trial and we soon realised we need to stop calling it a trial because this is going to keep going. <laughs> it's actually not going to stop. Um, well, and we, I don't, think... we don't have a textbook trial or, a you know, <laughs> a, a, you know a football field trial. It's, it's You just decide this you is what it. you need and you do it. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting because everybody's calling it a trial. And I think because it is a, it's a department's trial as such, it, it's their initiative. It's not something that we've done ourselves. Yeah. And that's the difference between our laptop program that we have funded ourselves or it's a, a right. dual payment right. between parents and us. We did that ourselves. We had no support from anybody um, other than our, you know, Mac suppliers to come yeah, and help us. Yeah. But this one is sponsored and, and supported by the department. Right. The iPad trial. There I go again, the iPad trial. Exactly. <laughs> so so um, where do they fit in? And, and, again, this is a question I asked the other guys, so I'd be curious to see what, what your thoughts are on it as well. Where, where do they fit in? Um, originally I kind of suggested to the other, other mob that... Uh, in a sense, if we if they're a trial, that suggests they're almost like a solution looking for a problem. You know, they seem like an ideal something you should have in a school. But we're not quite sure exactly where they're going to fit in yet. We're going to trial it and see. Where do you think the sweet spot is? Where, where are they good at fitting into a school situation? Um, interesting question. Because um, I've heard of a school in Victoria, in, sorry, in Victoria, Queensland, who deployed iPads to all of their kids, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And when I read the article, it was actually all they did was load all the textbooks on there. Oh, it's oh basically no. a book oh. reader, and that's all they're doing Ooh. with it. And, and you and I both know you can do way more than that. <laughs> and to be fair, they probably are as well. But that's the way the story was reported. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's the, the tough thing that we do want to move away from just being a, a reader to. Um, being something that you can um, be a producer on and we have to get away from just being consumers to allowing the kids to be producers even on the iPads. Um, a lot of the, the apps that we have at the moment, and there was a list of about 60 and the other guys probably would have told you this as well, um, a lot of them are apps that you can develop skills but there are also some that you can create on. Yep. Um, the the difficult thing here at the moment is how to um, share the work or share the learning across the board. So that I think that's why the department's calling it an iPad trial because there are some limitations. It's not quite as easy as having, say, a, a MacBook or a, a laptop. Agreed. Where, yeah, where you can actually do a lot of collaboration with those. Um, so this is the, where they're trying to um, find out solutions as to how it can be used to really have that collaborative approach to learning. Yeah. And things like Dropbox and things like that, you can share across to Dropbox. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they're, great, they're still... Great little app, Dropbox. 
Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there's still a lot that needs to be learnt and there's still a lot of frustration um, that even our teachers experience with um, accessing um, what the kids are doing. And the last thing that you want to do is not be able to see what the kids are doing. I can remember before our schools were networked how frustrating it was for us to see what was on those computers. And now that everything's networked, it's so easy. You know, you can do so much collaboration. And now that we have, you know, um, possibilities to share um, through, um, what am I trying to say, Chris, through, um, you know, internet, then then you've got greater opportunities. Network learning. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's what we're, we're trying to really sort out with the iPads how how effective effective are they going to be for that sort of network learning. What I see as being a real plus would be to, to see those iPads down in the junior classes. That's my ambition. Um, I junior, know being junior being prep, oh, prep, yeah, yep. yeah, prep 1-2. We tried so hard this year to get them into our prep years. I think they're a great, great solution for down there. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, we just didn't have the funds, but we're, we haven't stopped going on about it and, you know, eventually we might get there. But at the moment, and you met these people in um, New Zealand, we have a wonderful teacher, Sam, who's um, who was our Year 7 teacher last year, and now he's our prep teacher. He's actually collaborating with the Year 6 teachers who have got the iPads in their classrooms, and they're working together so that the Year 6s work with the prep class and help them become familiar with the iPads. Ultimately, what we want to do is have them there for the little preppies to access when they're doing their, what we call the Australian Developmental Curriculum, which is very much around inquiry. Um, It is inquiry learning but on a smaller scale so that they can actually access these tools and whether they can then upload photos, um, do a little drawing, save that across, um, type some words and record their voices and, and just some really quick ways to record what they're learning on the iPads. That would absolutely be brilliant. Um, I mean, that's the sort of thing we used to do with the iPods a while ago, record um, self-reflections of the students. But if you could do that on the iPad, draw, write, um, eventually hopefully take photos, you know, all that sort of thing, then that's a really great snapshot of what the kids have been doing down in those lower levels and that quick, you know, because they need that quick feedback, the little ones, and you can do that with the iPad quite easily. I don't know about taking photos. We don't comment on unreleased product at Apple. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I can tell you some funny stories about that. Um, Maybe but later. I won't. But I won't. Um, I'll um, publicly congratulate you again on being uh, selected into the Apple Distinguished Educator Program. Oh, which thank you. Which last week. Congratulations. I did. I did. So that was very nice to get that. And... Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic heading up to Sydney and being part of that community. Um, no, it should oh. be fun. I got, I got involved a little bit in the ADE stuff last year because I... Oh, did you? Well, I got to do some workshops and um, presentations for Apple as part of the ITSC program. And uh, ah. so I got to hang out with a lot of the ADE group and uh, it's a fun group. It is a fun really group, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can remember my very first ITSC um, back in 2000 up at Wollongong. That was um, very good. That was lots of fun. That's when they used to have the have just the one conference. So yeah, it was yeah, good. Back in the day, that takes me back. back. <laughs> yeah, That's and I think that was the very first year that the um, Australian ADEs got the ADEs. Mm, I think so. Yeah. Mm. I think so. Gosh, um, I hope I hope that I can um, live up to their standards. You know. Ah, uh, mm. you'll have fun. It'll be good. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think all the stuff you've raised there about professional development and about culture change, I, I think you've nailed the hit, the, hit the nail on the head rather, mm. um, you know, because it is. It's about culture change. It's about getting people to to buy into a common vision and all move in the same direction. Yeah, and yeah. And every school I've ever worked at which struggled with that, it was because people were just going in different directions. Everyone had different underlying philosophies of what education was supposed to be about and so consequently it was always hard to get critical mass going but yeah if you're on that track of being greenfield school for a start um is obviously you know a pretty good starting point but even beyond that to be able to um set that culture by getting people sharing regularly and getting people to um 
you know, basically be on the same page and self-reflect on what each other's doing and what the, what you're doing yourself. Mm. Probably, and probably I think starting point. Yeah, it is, and I, as you saw um, with with some of our teachers. Um, I've actually encouraged them to be out there sharing their craft with others as well now with with, um, the teachers at Manor Lakes and and that they're just loving it. They're just loving doing that. So if we can keep that going, then they're going to become teacher leaders themselves and and feel good about themselves and and hopefully that'll, you know, work its way down into the classes and with the kids, which is where we want it to go. Adrian Cam's one of your mob, isn't he? No, no, Adrian isn't, no. um, no, he's working at, let me think, let me think, he's working somewhere else. He's, he's a math science leader um, and doing some amazing things in professional development at his new place. And I can't think what it's called at the moment. Okay. But, no, he was with us on the day um, in New Zealand when you saw us. But, um, and, and he it, just got accepted into the Google Teacher Academy. He it? did. So you'll see him again. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. No, the people from my place were um, Corey, Corey Barclay. Okay, yep. So he's actually the one who's leading our iPad trial in our school. And also um, Sam, Sam Irwin you met, and Kate, you met her as well. So they're our people. Excellent. Oh, well, I wish you all the best of luck with that. Hmm, thank you. It keeps going well. Uh, well, you mentioned think. Dropbox. So tell us about how you're using that. Well, we're using – well, I use it personally and I have for, I don't know, about a year or so now. Mm-hmm. Um and the kids are using Dropbox to share their work with their teacher and with the other um, kids in the room or wherever. Um, so it, it is about um, sharing out the larger files um, yep, and then fantastic. being able to access it. So, look, it, it is. I think it's something that's probably fairly well known now, but it is a great tool to have, yep. um, certainly with the larger documents. Something yeah. it's worth mentioning too, and I did mention this a couple of podcasts ago, but it's worth mentioning again, is if you have a Dropbox account, uh, you get two gigabytes of storage space. Mm. But if you tell other people about it, and ah. they sign up using the ah, link yes. provide, there's a referral program and they will actually get an extra, I think it's 125 meg maybe. Uh, anyway, they, they get space and you get space. Mm. Um, now, there's also another thing. There's a page somewhere on the um, Dropbox website that you can go to where they'll ask you to verify that you have a .edu email address. So as long as you have an educational uh, email address... Mm-hmm. Even if it's not the one you're using for Dropbox, as long as you actually mm. own one and you can verify it by responding to an email sent to it, uh, they will double all, all of those referral spaces. There you go. So I'm up to about eight and a half gig of storage at the moment. <laughs> Fantastic. And I believe if you actually play your cards right and you do everything you can do, you can get 19 gig. There you go. So that's not bad. I must go back into it and have a bit of a look. It was too long ago now when I first joined up. Mm. No, it's very so good. So I must have a look. I keep going back to this, but to be the producers and to develop things. I've got one of um, one of our year prep teachers, as I was saying before, who was um, a year seven last year and year prep teacher this year. What he's trying to do is develop apps. So he's been creating apps and he's going to try as much as he can to get the kids interested in creating their own apps. Yep. Um, that's certainly something that we'd like to see happening. Now you're talking uh, about the older years, obviously. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, the older years, definitely. But, you know, why? Yeah, well, why not some of the younger ones? I don't I know. Have you, have you done? I, I looked at app development. I downloaded the, um, uh, uh, what do they call it, the uh, software development, the SDK. Yep. And had a look at it and I thought, mm, this is a little more complicated than I expected. Uh, and I've done a little bit of development and programming before. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. a little more complex than I expected. And I must admit, I just kind of didn't persevere with it at the time. I, something I want to go back to. But uh. I guess if it's just a simple little thing, um, Sam has created something that's just an RSS feed for joke of the day, for example. Uh, okay. And that's really nice because now the kids can actually see the joke of the day and they can read it. Yep. Um, and, or if they can. Um, and who and, made that? Uh, Sam, our teacher. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yep. 
Mm. So, you know, if it's something very simple like that, um, there's no reason why. Yeah, the senior kids definitely should be able to get into that, but maybe, maybe, I don't know, I'm just wondering, maybe even some of the younger ones can start experimenting with it. Who knows? Mm. I mean, I'm not an expert at app development or, or even try, but when I see that somebody can do things fairly easily, Again, you know, you sort of think back to years ago when we would say things like, well, I don't think the kids can actually do that. Kids can't do PowerPoint. Kids can't do this. Well, how do you know that kids can't do things unless you give a, let them have a go at things? So maybe now if we let kids have a go at some of these creating um, experiences, they can actually come up with things that we never thought of. Yeah, Who knows? Quite possible. I mean, that's that's really where I'd like to head with the iPads. I'd like to get them to be producers, and and whether that's going to actually happen or not, I don't know. Um, but that's certainly what I'd like to see them doing. I really don't want them getting into um, textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a waste of the device, isn't it? I mean, it's a great use of it. There's no doubt about yeah. that. And if you can have all your books on there, that's great. But that's kind of like, you know, let's do that, and now let's start from thinking about what we can really do with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that our um, people are getting into is EPUB. Um, and, again, uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to develop their own little re- their books online so that the kids yep. got something to read and that, that's a nice little feature as well. And especially now that uh, Apple's Pages actually exports as EPUB. Yeah. Which is very handy. And, in fact, so does uh, Adobe InDesign. Oh, okay. So you can actually do slightly fancier stuff with... Well, actually, you can do pretty fancy stuff in pages as well. But um, the fact that stuff is now being able to be exported is really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of actually the missing piece of the puzzle. Um, if you look at the, the the music side of the or the sound side of things, Apple has that entirely stitched up from beginning to end. From GarageBand, we actually produce stuff into the whole um, distribution channel through iTunes, into the whole final products where the, you know, they have the podcast directory and whatnot. And they own that entire vertical distribution channel. And yet there's, I think there's a big gap there in the, in the book stuff because there's the distribution channel for the books through the iBook store or through the Kindle app or whatever. And then there's obviously the you know, creation of books themselves. But the software and the processes for making books, I still think needs a bit of, you know, it's an area that's lacking still. Mm. Be interesting when they fill that one in, and I think the you know, the market for people producing their own content is going to explode the same way it did with uh, you know the explosion of podcasting. Mm, mm, absolutely, I think um, that that's been one of the great things with with some of the Apple um, programs that you can um, develop so much yourself and so easily. Yep, totally, uh, totally. It's, it's been fantastic over the years for us. Yep, absolutely. As they say, we live in interesting times. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ellen. Well, thank you so much for having a chat to me. Really appreciate it. It's okay. It's um, there's a lot, lot of stuff there to think about in terms of changing schools and changing cultures and stuff. Um, I saw a tweet the other day that someone said to me, you know, everyone wants schools to be sorry. Everyone wants schools to be better, but nobody wants schools to be different. <laughs> well, then they need to read um, "Different Do for Day" by Dr. Seuss. Different Do for Day. Yep. Have you read that one? Uh, no, I've read most of Seuss, but not that one. Yes, Different Do for Day is absolutely terrific for making schools different, unique, and um, all about the kids. Is it? Fantastic, yeah. Okay. Yep, great one for um, reading out to staff as well. Hooray for Doofin Differ Day. Yeah, have you found it, have you? Oh, yeah. just Googled it, yeah. Okay. Very good. Excellent. Fantastic okay. book, and that's what we're on about, Different Do for Day. <laughs> Good. I'll go, I'll go and borrow that from our library. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good oh, it's been station. fun, Chris. Yeah, yeah, it's been good to chat. All right, then. All right. I'll catch you later. See you later. Bye-bye. A big thank you to Helen Otway for joining us today and sharing her wisdom. Much appreciated. If you've enjoyed this episode, you might like to check out all the others over at virtualstaffroom.net where you can read the show notes and download any previous episodes we might have had. Uh, Thank you for listening. My name's Chris Betcher. Till next time, see you then.